You're listening to 1228, a new podcast exploring all the things that make us human. This is episode three, and I'm Christine, your host. It's day 48 for me, and not unlike most of you, I'm starting to go a little stir-crazy. I know, I know, there's tons of things like the internet, movies, and wiping down surfaces. But what I'm finding helpful is connecting with others, listening to their stories. What are they doing to distract themselves? We've got some interesting folks on this episode, so stick around. We speak to a man about Kung Fu and all of its moving parts. We talk microscopes and kitchen tips with the guns, a father and son team. And Stephen Blush shares his perspective about what's happening in the world of sports and how he escaped New York. Also, Dad tells us it's all going to be okay. Part 1. Kung Fu Frank. He's just your regular guy. But not really. He's a great conversationalist, dipping in and out of topics like he's jumping rocks in a creek effortlessly. I originally wanted his input on what's going on in the grocery stores, and if he's had any luck finding common household supplies. But Frank has a way with words, and what was supposed to be a six-minute interview is now a possible three-part segment, which you'll hear part one of in just a few seconds. He talks about rediscovering kung fu movies, and honestly, when I first heard him say kung fu, I wasn't all that excited. But by the end of it, I started thinking, maybe I need to re-explore my relationship with these movies. Take a listen for yourself. Kung Fu. Kung Fu movies are like, I don't know, (laughs) there's something about it's a perfect distraction. And I could provide you with a list of recommendations, of course, should all your listeners want to really enjoy the best, like the creme de la creme of 1970s Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies. Um, I enjoyed them as a teenager, a young, like 13 year old. And then I find them absolutely riveting now as a 51-year-old. Amazing. Amazon, Netflix, Hulu. Um, Amazon uh, Prime, for example, is streaming like, I'm going to say like there's almost a hundred of them, of these Shaw Brothers movies, which were kind of re-released through distribution company. And, you know, they're often in English, of course, with the funny, you know, tropey language stuff. Or you can listen in... Chinese or Mandarin and get the, the, the closed captioning like on your cable box or on your TV. But I have to tell you, it's not about the violence and the corny, you know, languaging and dubbing tropes, you know, it's about the art form of the actual fighting. And it's about, it's about the, the sort of, um, Joseph Campbell monomyth, uh, uh, culturally speaking, of sort of the Chinese culture or the, or in this case, sort of, um, like Hong Kong type, Taiwanese mixed with Chinese cultures. There's these recurring themes that come over and over again. And the actual fighting is really a, a form of, of dance. It's like a Peking opera or a Taiwan opera kind of thing and the acrobatics and the timing. And it dawned on me that what the, one of the reasons I'm really engaged in it is the rhythm of it. There's a rhythm to the fighting. Um, and when you mix that with the, the sort of the dance and acrobatics, you're sort of playing along almost as if you were playing the drums or something. Um, and it's really quite brilliant. And some of these people's faces and expressions 
um, I think trigger something in me from my childhood too. You know, they'll do things like really accentuate the, the eyebrows, the angles of the eyebrows. They'll sort of paint thicker, darker ones on at a, at a more extreme angle. And of course the hair and the Kinda ponytails. Like, uh, the first season of Star Trek with Spock. Yes. Yeah, Spock's <laughs> eyebrows were like all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's like, um, there are different sort of genres or, or, or themes of these movies. And I mean, I don't like them all, but there are some that are just really great to watch and they, they have all kinds of quirks in them that are hilarious. I don't know why I'm rambling about it other than I have like, you know how it is where you're in some kind of thing in your life and there's a phase and, you know, you just sort of like OD on something. Maybe it's binge watching Dexter or something, but you know where you were when. And so whenever in the future you think back, you're like, oh, yeah, COVID-19, lots of Kung Fu you know? <laughs> and all free, you know, so um um, and some of these actors had very interesting lives and challenging childhood. In real life. In real life. And many of them are still alive today and doing different things. So, um, you know, um, sort of very, very famous for a moment in time. And then that moment passed and people weren't really interested in kung fu movies, you know, of that. Yeah, in my local outside of Philadelphia, it would be called like Kung Fu Theater on like Saturdays. And maybe they'd have like a double feature. Um, and maybe, maybe everyone has a little bit of Kung Fu movie in them. I mean, maybe people at least my age who were around and kicking, you know, in the gosh, 20th century, you know. So, uh, wow. Yeah, that was a lot of information. I'm, I'm not sorry. too far behind you, 47. I remember the Kung Fu. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And then people make fun of them and stuff. And like Wu-Tang Clang, like actually based their whole, their whole brand and gestalt on this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. I think, you know what I think? It's kind of like when Quentin Tarantino rediscovered um, John Travolta, you know, like, you know, nothing was happening with John Travolta, you know, nothing. And then boom, I forget what movie it was called Pulp Fiction, I guess, you know. And like, I feel like that could happen with these Kung Fu people because I feel like kind of like Star Trek and other sort of iconic cultural Planet of the Apesy type things. When you go back and look again, you know, through the eyes of an adult, it's just really fascinating. Everything, the production value the themes, the plots, the characters, the actors, the wardrobe, you know, like even just the sound effect. I think they call it fully editing where they would record these movies and people would think that the actors were actually speaking one language. And then, of course, the English was dubbed over that. You know, that's kind of what people expect. Like, oh, I see his mouth moving and he's probably speaking Mandarin or who knows what, Cantonese or something. And of course, some, some actor would speak the, you know, English speaking actor would dub their voice over top. And that makes perfect sense, right? But in reality, it turns out that a lot of these movies were shot without sound. And so the actual version, original version, not dubbed to English was actually dubbed itself to the language the actors were actually speaking because they found it easier to do things that way. So that's one interesting factoid there but just the sound of you know 
the Kung Fu hero walking down a few stairs into the restaurant, because there's always a restaurant, the sound that his little slippers are making on the ground, it's almost a gravelly sound. It's kind of a pitter-patter. Um, and yet it's so generic, but yet it's so compelling. Maybe it overstates it. Maybe the sound effect is a little disproportionate to what you're seeing. But, like, it's a whole art form. From what I understand, these movies were made very rapidly. Like, they wouldn't spend more than, like, a month shooting one of these movies. You know, it was like, churn them out, churn them out, one after another. Um, and there were different eras of different actors. And, like, you know, the gangs, you know, like the Venom gang and so forth. Hmm. One lizard will have to be good to beat the other. <laughs> But I just think, like, even the sound of fire is like, you know, someone's actually making the sound of fire and kind of putting that, editing that in after the fact, you know. And I don't know, there's something very maybe kitschy or quaint about it that that ring kind of strikes. But you know what? I could just be speaking from my own personal perspective. And someone like my mother, she would probably talk about, you know, the, the the old movies that she saw when she was a kid and how fascinating they were to, to, to her or so forth. Like each generation probably has these kinds of things, you know. Part two, Onion Skin. Tommy and Jesse Gunn are my go-to for Thanksgiving. Their knowledge in the kitchen and willingness to share what they know makes them a valuable resource during our COVID-19 lockdown. No matter what you have in your cupboards, I'm betting they can find a way to turn it into a Michelin star dish. In fact, that's what they've been doing, posting their quarantine dinners every day on social media. And some of the ingredients? A bit surprising. But it's even cooler than that. They also create mini-movies recording microorganisms under the microscope and pairing them with fun music. It's hypnotizing. There's so much I could say about this father and son duo. But I'll leave it at this. Tommy's the kind of guy everyone wants for a dad. And Jesse, well, he's just amazing. I'm so happy you agreed to do this because I've been hanging out with you virtually for, I don't know, even how long it's been. Um, but always, yeah, always really helpful during the holidays. And Tommy, you've been so great answering questions when I message you and... You guys are just awesome, and you always have really good stuff that you post, so um, how are you guys holding up? Uh, we're holding up good. You know, they, they found a name for my lifestyle. You know, uh, they call it uh, the quarantine. Uh-huh. Uh, I used to call it staying home, staying home a lot. <laughs> yeah, I so, keep... <laughs> you know, it feels like yesterday. It doesn't, you know, it does not bother me at all. You know, I'm never bored at home. We have so many things to do here. You know, it's either microscopes, projects, cooking, cleaning, TV shows, VR, building things, 3D printers, you know, you name it, we're doing it here. Yeah, you you do have your hands in a little bit of everything. I think that's one of the things that draws me to you guys because you're always just experimenting, doing things um, that even with your, your videos that you're doing, um, with your samples under the microscope. Why don't we start there? Sure. Yeah. 
so what what drew you to that? Like, where did was that a school thing, or did one of you just say this would be cool? Let's try it. Uh, so two years ago on Christmas, my dad got me like a, a cheap twenty thirty dollar microscope. You know, just to mess around with, try some stuff out. And at first, we were just looking at like you no know, onion skin, uh, just random things around the house, like dead insects and bugs. It was pretty interesting just to see stuff like under that. But then we started looking at like water samples. And, you know, we started to see, like, living things, so I, I grew more interested in it. So uh, we decided to get a bit of a better one, like a $100 microscope. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where it took off. Like, what inspired you to do this with the video, and how are you doing that? Like, how does that even work? You know, if you see a lot of microscope videos, they're kind of boring out there. I mean, not boring, not a lot of them, but there's some that's like, more like very technical research type of videos where they're not very interesting to look at, you know? And I said, how can we make this interesting for like the average Joe to see something and appreciate it almost like, you know, in a, uh, interesting way. So very early on, you know, uh, after Jesse got the hundred dollar microscope, we realized we were to do filming. And so we bumped it up to about, uh, $275 microscope that had a, what's called a trinocular which is a third piece where you can attach a camera to it. And at that point, you know, I think after our first two weeks, we put out our first film, and I knew it was bad, but a lot of people loved it. But I said, you know what, we're going to put it up because we can see where we came from later on when we get better. And within the first three months, we were, we were on a fourth video, um, and it kept getting better and better and better. And then, uh, you know, we got to the point where, you know, we knew what we are doing, and Jess was learning a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the way we work together is we share time because when, when you're filming, you know, you're sitting there for like hours at a time. It's like, do you ever see those videos where the crocodile jumps out of the, the, the river and then attaches zebra or the uh, or, or one of the antelopes? Yes. Uh, that is going to happen like, you know, in five minutes. You have to sit there for days and days and days and wait for something to happen. <laughs> the same thing, you know, with my uh, microorganisms, you know, like uh, I could put two things together, you know, lead a horse to water, but it doesn't mean they're going to eat, you know, or they're going to behave the, one, the, the way they should behave, or they're going to swim, you know, and they swim really fast, and for them to stay in one spot, and for me to get that one shot, that's great, it takes a lot of time waiting around, so I'll sit here for like an hour, and, or he'll isolate the, the microorganisms for me. Put him a slide for me because he's better at that. He has more steadier hands. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. And then, you know, that's how we work. You know, then we come up with formulas and ideas. And, you know, like, we argue sometimes, you know, like, yeah. what's the best way to do it? You know, like, he likes dark fields. I like Reinberg's. Reinberg filters are like a color background. He likes a black background. Or so, oblique. Or oblique, so which is like a shadow background. So we're always coming up with new techniques, and we build a lot of stuff. For the microscopes with our 3D printer, we design things and, and build them, you know, and see what works. I guess the most recent thing was um, the Nikon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, last minute we submitted a thing to Nikon. You know, this is like maybe like a year and a half after we started. You know, thinking we're never going to win anything with this thing here because, you know, we're just starting out and we're going to compete, be competing against PhDs, doctors, research centers and these guys are amazing they have amazing work out there they've been doing it for like you know decades you know submitting to this contest which is a pretty elite contest 
but you see, you know, what the hell, if we get an honorable mention, we'll be so happy. Uh, we wind up taking third place. I, you know and, what? I uh, saw that. Congratulations. Yeah. Really impressive. Really Thank cool. You. What's like the craziest thing you've put, you know, under the microscope? Uh, for a while, like we'd uh, order stuff from this uh, biological place. It's called um, Carolina Biological or something. And we get like a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, one of my personal favorites is the tardigrade. Uh, they're really interesting and they just look cool. Just the way they move and just their their general behavior. Uh, if you heard about them, they're also called water bears. Uh, they're meant to be the most indestructible uh, organism on Earth, which is pretty insane. They can survive space, the deepest depths of the ocean, and uh, yeah. Besides that, the first, like, really interesting thing I saw was a nematode. And it's, like, for people who are just getting started, like, honestly, a lot of the stuff you find in the fridge is pretty interesting. Like, uh, if you look at an onion under a microscope, you can actually see the cells. And I found that pretty interesting. And uh, an experiment I did last year in one of my science classes, I think if you take banana and you mash it with iodine, you can get a pretty cool reaction under a microscope. Oh, wow. Not too sure about that, but okay. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. What about for anyone that's listening that might want to, you know, get something for their kids, um, or even just for themselves? You know, it doesn't have to be for kids. Do you have like a recommendation as far as like a starter microscope that wouldn't be too expensive? You mentioned like you you bought one for like thirty bucks, and that was kind of fun and inspired you to to move up a step, right? I mean, I would say, like, just, like, anything that's kind of, like, not expensive, you kind of want to see if you're actually going to get into it first, because there's not much point in buying a really expensive microscope and then finding that you just, you don't really enjoy doing this type of stuff, so Mm -hmm. for someone who's starting out, I would suggest get, like, a cheap, uh, we don't have, like, a specific brand or anything. Well, I mean, there's a couple out there. There's uh, the National Geographic ones, um, you know. I think the toy microscopes today are, are pretty okay. okay. You know, they're not as bad as, you know, uh, when you were a kid, you had, like, these really, really bad ones, you know, that, like, fall apart on you. Uh, the one we had was the National Geographic one or something like that. And it was about, like, 40 actually, like about $40, $50. But it came with a uh, phone holder. So you could put your phone to the um, eyepiece and was, you were able to record. And if you look at one of my old, old videos, you will see the very, very first video we ever did. And we use that. You know, I just think it's really cool that you guys decided to to film it. And um, I really enjoy watching this. And I think the last one I saw was something eating something. Yeah. Was that the live one where the Hydra swallowed the um, the Daphnia? I think so. It was a green octopus-like thing? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, uh, microorganisms. They're actually invertebrates. Can you explain that? Let's just explain it. Go ahead. An invertebrate is like, so if you think about us, we're vertebrates. So we have a spinal column, right? Uh, Fish are vertebrates because they have a spinal column. Anything that has like some sort of inner thing to hold them up. So spinal column or just like a muscle complex, I think it could also be. So that's what we consider a vertebrate. Okay. So just like something that does not have this. Oh, okay. So it's like uh, crabs because they have like an exoskeleton, but they don't actually have a spine. Mm -hmm. Spiders, worms, 
snails, anything that doesn't have a spinal column is an invertebrate. And hydras don't have a spinal column, so they're invertebrates. Cool. That's some fun facts there. Good explanation, Jesse. Yes, it was. Let me ask you this. With the uh, coronavirus situation, yes. um, do you, have you like done any research to see what that might look like You know, under a microscope? Well, no, well first of all, the assumption is you can see that with your everyday uh, microscope. Uh, to see one of those, there's a couple of things you need. You need like DNA markers, special machines. You need to have like an like, electron microscope. It is impossible to see that under a normal microscope. Okay. Uh, you need special instruments. And the last thing you want to do is be able to look at, you know, what are you going to do? Put in a petri dish in your refrigerator next to the ham sandwich. Uh, even if you know, one experiment, you know, to be very careful when you're playing around with bacteria and things like that. You know, usually the laboratories or, or people in school, uh, they have a separate refrigerator for that. Okay. You know? yeah. um, and basically it's a petri dish with like argo argo on it or uh, some sort of medium to keep the thing growing. Uh, you don't want to grow bacteria, you know, because yeah. uh, you don't know what you're growing. There's so many different bacteria, and unless you're really knowledgeable, you know, you may be thinking you're playing with a safe bacteria. Oh, this is only my handprint. Well, you don't know what you touched. So... Guys, stay away from growing your own bacteria unless you know what you're doing. Thank you for for saying that because I certainly wasn't suggesting that you go hunt some down. But I, I thought maybe the two of you might be curious if there was something yeah, online. But, uh, and... I'll tell you right now, you'll see a lot of people talking about things like, "Oh yeah, but I saw in a can of Lysol, you know, it's been killing coronaviruses for a long time, a long time." Uh, the thing is, there are about like over eight species of coronaviruses. Uh, there are uh, attached to animals, and there's about four or five, you know, or so, they're attached to humans. And when you see Corvid, you know, what that means is corona. Corona means uh, crown in Latin. The V is for a virus, the D is for disease, uh, the dash 19 is for the year it was found. Uh, so people can get confused and, like, and think it's the same thing. Like, for instance, there's a rotifer, you know, or a water bear. Water bears are, tar- are called tardigrades, uh, which you're familiar with, yeah? But did you know there's over thousands of different species of tardigrades out there? No, I didn't know so that. just because something is called corona, it's not the same thing. Okay. It's just the starting point of uh, the species name. I, I really appreciate you explaining that because I've seen a lot of things about what coronavirus really stands for. Well, let's, um, let's get into the kitchen one of my favorite places to be, yes. especially yes. as it relates to the two of you. Let me ask you, you know, are you finding yourself needing to be more creative than normal in the kitchen due to lack of supplies or, you know, I mean, are you finding everything that you need to make what you want to make or are you just uh, winging it? Um, a lot of times I sometimes wing it, but, you know, I have enough stuff here. My pantry's always been kind of stocked, you know. Uh, right now, my freezer probably has about four packs of chicken or five and, like, a couple of packs of beef, you know, like, I'm looking at one protein per day, and then I have other things on my lower things with vegetables. I have flours, I have noodles, and I have things to make sauces, you know. Uh, so, just with what I have right now, I could probably go another, you know, like, two, three weeks without having to leave the house. I mean, right now, as you've been seeing, I've been putting up these, uh, daily post eventually you know i want to get down to like hey 
You know, there's nothing left in the refrigerator. We're down to the cans and boxes. What can we make? And at that point, you know, I'm going to show you how to make pombi pash, how to make your own pasta, how to make uh, bread, how to do lots of different things, make tortillas, you know. You Are know, you going to do live videos for that or videos? I'm, th I'm thinking about doing little snippets, you know, doing a live video. The problem is, you know, you don't want to sit there while I spend like an, an hour in the kitchen, you know. Because mm -hmm. um, it's not like where I'm going to prepare one thing and then have it magically come out of the oven, you know. If I put something in the oven, it may take two or three hours. Right. You know, like, for instance, I gotta do, I want to show you guys how to do a bread. I was thinking, how am I going to do this? Because it's only three ingredients. Mm -hmm. It's called a no-need bread. And I uh, use, like, two cups of flour, one and a half cups of water, a pinch of salt, or a teaspoon of yeast. That's it. But, you you know, you stir it up together. You don't even do anything. You stir it up, cover it with a, uh, with a uh, plastic wrapper, and next day, you bake it. So, and then when you bake it, it's going to take an hour. You know, That's there's not really easy. much point in doing something like that, mm -hmm. you know, in a video. Okay. Unless we do something really simple, like maybe like a uh, uh, onion rings or like a uh, mozzarella puffball or something easy like a fried rice, you know, where this action happening is kind of quick. Well, I'm know? getting hungry just listening to you, you know, <laughs> talk about this stuff. Well, maybe you'll, um, maybe you'll be interested in doing a video of the homemade pasta. That that okay. might be fun. Just keep that yeah. on your back burner. Also doing like sections, like you don't have to do the whole thing at once. Right. Right. We have to start off something like doing making your own mayonnaise, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Making your naioli. Well, that would be you know, helpful because there was no mayo at the store today. Okay, so maybe we'll do something like that. You know, it could be. It doesn't have to be a live video. I mean, we've done the things live. Uh, the, have you seen our Thanksgiving dinners? Of course I have, and I normally so, send you a yeah, note. Those are, yeah, those are live uh, on Thanksgiving, and we spend about, and we take little breaks, but generally have dinner done in about three and a half hours with a 22-pound turkey. Just people that start the turkey, you know, like the dinner, like the day before. We're watching March the Wind Soldiers at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, yep. and once that's over, it's like, okay, let's start cooking, you know, and <laughs> uh, we just do it together, and we knock it out. That's great. That's you guys are a great team in the kitchen for sure. What about um, kitchen safety? Has anything changed for you? I mean, are you doing anything differently? I mean, in terms of cooking, like when we get like new ingredients, we tend to like wash them down, of course, like because people may have touched them in the supermarket, and if it's packaged, you know, we'll wash it with soap or something. But you know, fresh ingredients that sometimes like whenever we do have to go to the grocery store, you know. We'll wash them down. But besides that, like, I mean, not too much has really changed in our house. Yeah, I mean, our, our kitchen safety has always been the same. You know, like, wash your hands, wash the knives, wash the hot stuff, you know. Uh, and we talk to each other, like, hot behind, you know. And, and we just watch how we, you know, cook in the stove because, you know, you can get burned. People can get cut. That's one thing I was thinking about, you know, the other day is about the kitchen safety is people... Are you a chicken washer? No, I do not wash my chicken. Because there are a lot of people who wash the chickens. And, you know, I, I, I teach cooking classes to kids and to adults in private, private, private classes. When we bring out the chicken, they always want to wash the chicken. And it always spoke to me, so why do you want to wash the chicken? Because, oh, because, you know, like, uh, it's slimy and we want to wash the germs off of it. I said, well, if you know anything about biology, you know, you're never going to wash any germs off of it because in order to do that, you have to do it in boiling water and it has to go all the way through the whole thing. So you might as well just cook the chicken. 
you know. Uh, the second thing, the slime that you get in a chicken, uh, do you know what that is? No. Is it a membrane? It's fat. Chicken fat. Oh, yeah. So it's that slime, it's chicken fat. You know, I've actually seen, I've I've seen people use uh, dish soap to clean chicken and also to clean vegetables. I normally use um, uh, white vinegar to clean my vegetables. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up too. Because... Yeah, no, no, it's like, you know, I, I can see what they do with vinegar. Uh, there's a thing you do with pork and things like that where, uh, there's a residue. Like say you want to make a chicken stock and you want it to be clear. You want to kind of like poke the chicken first in, in regular water and that water's going to get a little cloudy and all those residues are going to come off the chicken, like why the same thing with pork, you know, it's like this, like. Uh, cloudy stuff, uh, and then you rinse that off, and then you put that in a fresh uh, pot of water, and you're gonna have a clearer stock. Uh, it's not gonna be cloudy. It's not gonna be like you know lumpy with white stuff in it. Oh, that's a uh, really great tip. Yeah. Okay, let me move on to you mentioned um, Jesse. You mentioned fresh produce. Yep. And I, I know in some areas it is it's a little harder to find that right now because when they do get shipments people rush in just like they do with the hand sanitizer and toilet paper and paper towels um and buy it up so what are some good alternatives you know whether it be dried or frozen um i mean we use frozen peas a lot almost all the basically all the time yeah we use frozen peas the thing is, is it's flash frozen meaning it's it's the minute it's picked they freeze it at at its prime stage there, there are certain vegetables that work better frozen than others. Uh, for instance, peas work better frozen than in a can. You know, if you taste the peas in a can, not the same thing. Uh, corn's the same thing because they have that texture on the outside. It's almost like a rubber jacket, so they're not going to really get that messed up. Uh, right now, you can't be too fussy. You're still going to get the same amount of vitamins uh, otherwise. So, Right. And what about dried things like... Um... You know, do you think you get the same nutrition from, like, a dried tomato versus, like, cans? You know, canned tomatoes? Um, it kind of depends on, like, what you're doing. Like, you're, you're going to use, like, sun-dried tomatoes for something different than you use, like, fresh tomatoes for. And, mm-hmm. you know, the sun-dried ones, you might add extra stuff. Like, a lot of people add olive oil, which, you know, that might be something that you're, like, lacking in your diet. I do like plum tomatoes in a can. I do like that a lot, you know, if you get the right kind. San Manzano tomatoes. It is the best you're going to get better than, than hand-picked tomatoes because they're from Italy. Uh, they're a special type of tomatoes. Um, but, yeah, that's great for making tomato sauces, marinaras, and things like that. It's, it's a tomato you can only get in a certain part of Italy at a certain time of year. Are there any foods that you shouldn't freeze after you cook them? After you cook them? Yeah, like, you know, how people have leftovers and they'll throw it in the freezer. Is there anything right off the top of your head, just as, like, another tip that people shouldn't throw in the freezer? I feel like pasta. Yeah, I mean, it was the point, you know, freezing pasta. Maybe a sauce. Fruit, I think. Like, if you're freezing it yourself, it's not the best idea because what happens is the cells, they kind of break down. So when it unfreezes, it's going to be kind of, like, soggy-ish and kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Industrial frozen, you know, fruits and vegetables are probably, well, 
Right, the flash yeah. frozen. Yeah, they're flash frozen, so they're they're probably going to be better than if you freeze it yourself. Do you know how the, the cells break down? They expand and they, they pop. Yeah, yeah. They expand and pop. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all right. You ever put like water in an ice cube, a, a tray? Mm-hmm. And and then uh, it expands. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, I have Also, um, uh, what happens is um, so the water, like the H two O inside of the fruit. It'll form ice crystals, popping cells, I think, as well. Yep. I think. I mean, don't quote me on this, but... No, she's quoting me I feel like this. I... Well, that's it. Your word, word is law now, Jesse. <laughs> it's going to Wikipedia. Yeah. Well, you know what? I hear what he was saying. Like, if, if we're going to just take fruit that we cut up and throw it in the freezer, you know, it's most likely going to be kind of soggy. Yeah. Um, instead of holding its form. So I, I get the basic idea, and I think our listeners will, too. Um, Except for a frozen banana with chocolate dip, chocolate dip frozen banana. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Well, do you leave the skins on your banana when you freeze them, or do you take them off? Uh, none of my uh, chocolate-covered dip banana. No, I take the skins off before I dip them into the sauce. But do you ever freeze the bananas before you like dip them, just like Actually, to have them? I do not. I, okay. I rarely ever freeze my bananas. Because it I mean, can make know, a good I'll custard. I'll put them on ice cream and things like that, or like you know, um, I don't use bananas too much unless I'm making like some sort of like bananas foster or, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I usually wear the topping, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, can you tell me how your love for science helps you in the kitchen? I mean, I don't really relate the two too too much, but when when I do, I feel like. Cooking could be, I mean, obviously related to chemistry in a lot of ways. But, like, let's say when you're making a sauce, like, well, uh, a few days ago we made a curry. And we were we were tasting it, right? And uh, you kind of have to get the right balance of, like, elements in a way. So, like, either you have too much curry or you don't have enough. Or you have to add, like, a little bit of this and a little bit of that in order to create, like, an, an, an equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's, like, the only spot where I see, like, science coming in. Unless it's molecular gastronomy, because that, that's a lot of fun. that gets a wild. Yeah. So. What he's talking about is basically putting chemicals together with foods uh, to create new things, mm-hmm. new, uh, new ideas, like imagining eating, like, uh, ice cream air. Ice cream uh, air. Which is basically a, a technique you can use with chemicals to whip up the flavors of ice cream and have it frozen, but when you get in your mouth it's just like a cloud of ice creams or making little spheres of like uh, strawberry drops uh that pop in your mouth when you buy them or like having like fizzy grapes yeah we made fizzy grapes or fizzy what oranges yeah so imagine eating a grape and it tastes like a carbonated soda hmm that's something you guys do yeah we did a while ago yeah it's pretty simple as well i mean yeah typical some of the ideas we have i mean there's actually a video of us making uh, a dessert egg. Uh, it looks like a fried egg, but it's all like mangoes and panna cotta. Yep. And using our sphere techniques. Would cotton candy fall into that category, or is that something totally different? No, what it is is a way of uh, being able to in- put so much foam into uh, a chocolate-based ice cream, right, that it's like so light, but the foam doesn't fall down. All right, you know when you make a bubble bath? Mm-hmm. And you have that really light, foamy thing on top? Yes. All right. Now, imagine that foam, right? Uh, 
being able to stay in that that form and be frozen. And so then when you bite into this foam, right, you're not really eating a lot, but at the same time you're getting like this chocolate that melts in your mouth and it's like so light, you know, it's like bubbles. Well, I hope that the two of you will put together something like that. I mean, maybe you already have and I missed it. Um, I'd really like to see how you uh, how you even do that. Yeah, we haven't done that, that much foam uh, for videos at all. Uh, we actually only filmed that one thing for molecular. We should do some molecular stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I think it's fun. You know, it would be yeah. fun to watch and fun to even try at home, as long as it's not yeah. dangerous. No, it, it, it is definitely not an everyday thing, but it's definitely a fun thing to try once in a while. You know, like uh, you know, I don't we don't take it too seriously, but you know, there's certain ways you know that it can enhance flavor of things, and um, it's just a fun food. You know, we don't you know fun eats like you know making cranberry spheres, making, like, you know, little drops and, you know, mango spheres and foams and What better time like to do stuff like that, too, for people to try that, you know, now that they're stuck at home and going out of their minds, some of them, and, and lots of people are yeah. also finding new creative ways. Is there... Sure. Is there, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that, you know, you'd like to, to add to this? I mean, like, it's good, like, while you're at home just to pick up new hobbies. Or, you know, just, like, kind of go off of old ones. Like, I've been practicing my guitar a bit more. And, like, I know a lot of friends are, like, my friends at school are, like, learning new instruments. And I feel like, you know, it's a good thing to do right now. Some people are picking up cooking, which is great. And some people get into science, you know. It's not too good to read the news sometimes, especially when it comes to science. But, yeah, no, it's good to, you know pick up all this new stuff something new every day and you know what if you don't like to read there's plenty you know youtube videos there's plenty of tutorials online you can find so you don't have to go and research like in the old days if you wanted to find out how to make something you had to go to a library or find a book and then you know it was a mission you know now it's everything at your fingertips you know use it you can follow tommy and jesse by using their screen names on instagram Jesse Gunn Rocks, J-E-S-S-E-S-G-U-N-N-R-O-C-K-S, and I Micro World, I-M-I-C-R-O-W-O-R-L-D. That's Instagram. Part 3. Cops with Mustaches. Sports. Not my go-to topic for, well, anything. But I understand its value and its ability to distract, shake up the mundane in people's lives. My history with sports starts and ends with baseball. It was something I shared with my grandfather as a child. We spent a lot of time at the Yankee Stadium, and it kind of made me a silent fan. But if you asked, I couldn't name all the teams or players. Still, having the game on in the background takes me back to my childhood. It's a guaranteed comfort, a calming of sorts. The other night, I called my dad and he was listening to a baseball rerun on the radio, a game he already knew the outcome of. But there he was, listening anyway, because we all just want something from the past to rattle us out of our quarantine cages. I reached out to Stephen Blush, an old family friend, knowing he'd have the one-two on what's what. Here's what he had to say. escaped about a month ago and the whole escape from new york story but you know that's well i do uh, i do remember seeing i think a picture on facebook 
uh, maybe your bags were packed or something. Yep. Yep, um, yep. So was that the maybe the day you? you That's the day we took off. Yeah, we took was... off. Okay, so I have some some sports questions <laughs> for you. Um, and I mean, I don't know exactly. We don't have to just focus on sports. I just kind of thought it would be good to get your perspective because I haven't heard a whole lot about it. And George mentioned to me too, you know, like. Cute. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, my my sports slash music meter is pretty high. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, let me first. Why don't you um, introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, everybody. I'm Stephen Blush. I uh, I'm an author, filmmaker. I did a little film and book called American Hardcore about the rise of the American hardcore punk scene. Written over a half dozen books and published and written and. Uh, worked with George Pichos, who is a strong connection to uh, this whole podcast. That's right. Okay, let me ask you my first question. How many home runs does it take to make a touchdown? <laughs> I like your I like your sports knowledge. Very yeah, deep. yeah. I uh, I mean, I just want to put it out there right away that I am okay. I, I I know some things. Um, I'm doing this for my listeners, not necessarily for me, but I do have a little interest um, baseball for instance, um, America's favorite pastime. What is our favorite pastime now? I mean, what's, what's even happening in baseball? Well, the last things that they're talking about is playing games in empty stadiums in Arizona. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think whoever opens up a sport first is going to have the highest ratings ever. Um, next week on the 23rd is, uh, the NFL draft. And I predict that that will have some of the highest ratings in television history because people are so starved for anything. Um, there is a league, a soccer league in Belarus, which is the only league playing that is setting, is setting um, viewership records because people in Europe are so starved for it. So, um, you know, grew up in New York, diehard New York sports fan, uh, grew up on the New York Yankees, lived and breathed that through all the really bad times of the 70s and the resurrection in the 90s. And uh, Yankees finally put together this uh, seeming World Series team for this year, signed the best pitcher in baseball, and it may all come to naught. So it's very interesting. Now, another thing that I find really interesting happening in sports now is um, in the NBA basketball, they uh, players have made tremendous amounts of money because they are part of financial uh, sharing between ownership and the players. In the late 70s, the NBA almost went out of business and they came up with this arrangement with their players. So the head of basketball has contacted all the players and said, well, you're not playing this year. You're going to get about half the money on your salary. Oh. So, <laughs> so um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, right. um, but um, I think the macro issue about all of this is um, sports is the pastime that would keep everyone occupied during this otherwise. But And I think all the sports at first thought that they could remain open, but it hasn't happened. I mean, ESPN, the sports network, has asked all its uh, top uh, broadcasters to take a pay cut. I mean, because there's nothing to talk about. Um, my connection to football is, well, I was always a sports fan, 
and I worked in rock and roll and I worked with some of the craziest bands like that have ever existed. And I'd been on the road with bands like Marilyn Manson and Slayer. And they were some of the worst crowds I've ever seen, you know, like some of the worst bad behavior you could imagine. And, Do you mean um, it, like the concerts and stuff? Yeah, like the people, like the, yeah, the, the, the fans, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I mean, they're, you know, not bad people, but they're, you know, the Cro-Magnon. <laughs> and the only uh, crowd that I saw that was worse was when I started going to Jet Games. And, <laughs> and uh, it was like really bad. It was like cops with mustaches, like doing blow, getting into fights. It was just madness. You know, it was just like some of the worst thing I'd ever seen. And of course, that attracted me like punk rock and every other subversive uh, uh, thing I've been attracted to. So it was kind of a natural. And um, for the past five years, I've blogged for the New York Jets. So yes, the Jets, I, the Jets, that's your team. Yeah. So probably the most dysfunctional franchise in the league, which was, of course, another thing that attracted to me because much as I like winners, I also appreciate losers. And uh, it was so New York and it was so uh, twisted and it was so um, dysfunctional. And it's still still to this day. If any of your uh, listeners know the NFL, they'll know that the Jets uh, did a have a new front office that's pretty promising. So we will uh, put faith in people to get the right players. But basically, the player selection, the decisions made as a franchise, um, the ownership, the CYA culture, like everything about it is just horrific. Um, and I have marginal relationship with the team at this point because I just kind of tell the truth. You know, me and my big mouth always gets me in trouble. But uh, I've uh, been keeping myself occupied with that, um, you know, other than finishing a book and, and things of that sort. But, you know, if you want to know who the top 100 players are going into this NFL draft, I can tell you 1 to 100 probably. <laughs> so, uh, well, tell, why don't you, can you, you, do you mind giving us your, like, top three prediction? Well, I mean, the, Top three predict well. For, there's who are going to be the top picks in the draft. You know, it's certainly going to be Joe Burrow from LSU will go probably to the Bengals, and it'll be Chase Young going to the Redskins. And um, you know, number three is a question mark. The quarterback from Alabama to uh, can't pronounce his last name, but uh, he's from Samoa. And every, anyone who watched Alabama football would know who I'm talking about. So um, those are the three picks in the in the draft. Uh, there's a lot of exciting players this year. There's a lot of incredible wide receivers, tackles, a uh, few good quarterbacks, very weak in running backs. You know, what I find most interesting about the draft is, of course, at the top of the draft are all the players from Alabama and LSU and Ohio State. You know, these are basically if you if you want to be a doctor, you go to Harvard. If you want to be a football player, you go to one of those schools. You know, and it's like the best. And it's they train you well. They are training you for a professional sports experience. One thing I've learned about uh, working with football, kind of the opposite of rock and roll and art, but. Um, you know, these guys get a bad reputation because there are some, you know, there's some bad apples, no doubt. 
but even the worst guys are really driven, hardworking, dedicated athletes. You know, you could not perform on this level unless you totally give. And players who don't give don't make it. So anyone you know who's famous or anybody you hear has a bad reputation, they may have a bad reputation, but they have God-given talent. And at the end of the day, they show up to work, you know, and they work hard. And on the other side, it's like they're really good people. They're philanthropic. They're uh, spiritual. They're um, family-driven. You know, these guys pray at the end of games a lot because they've just given their all. Um so I'm really fascinated by football culture. I think it's um, it's kind of like a uh, metaphor for war, you know. So um, you know, I get the, I get the violence. I get I, I get the whole thing, and I like it. I like it. Uh, football's in a funny place right now because a lot of people don't want their kids playing it, but they all want to gamble on it, and they all want to play fantasy football. And, you know, so this is a, you know, there was that movie Concussion that came out 10, 15 years ago, and um, that changed everybody's attitude toward football. Um, I would point out that probably, I think really the answer is you probably should play football till you're about 15 or 16. And I also think that um, the head injuries are in every sport, you know. Yeah, soccer has a huge rate of concussions. Yeah, it's, it's actually yeah. higher football i think it is yeah. yeah 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 so it's um but these people really give their all you know and uh you know to me you know seeing the way these guys lay it out on the field reminds me of bands that like just leave it all out on the stage you know and uh i have a real appreciation for this kind of alpha alpha male um indestructible kind of like uh you know, the warriors, the people who you, can, you probably don't want to hang out with on a, like, you know, you, people don't love the cop, they, people only love the cops and stuff on a bad day, you know, <laughs> you know, so these are those kind of guys. You don't want them camping next to you, but, you right. know. Right, oh, yeah, exactly, you don't want them, like on a good day, you don't want them around, but on a bad day, you want them, you want them there, so. What do you think is going to happen this fall with football? Um, I mean, do we, think, do we have any idea? Well, first of all, you can't have crowds. I don't know what they're going to do for stuff like college, like college football. I mean, pro football. I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they might have to do these games in an eighty thousand seat stadium and sell five hundred tickets. You know, they might have to do something like that. But uh, do you think they'll do something like pay per view or something, or will? Um, I think that they have to give it away and just gouge the advertisers i think that that's and i think any advertiser would be all in on this yeah yeah i mean um it's not quite the same but world wrestling federation did smackdown or whatever they call their that's not what it's called um but they're the royal rumble and um you know the ratings were off the charts they're like incredible they did it in an empty arena and they figured out afterwards that one of their announcers had coronavirus so you know, it's it's kind of a rough call here. I um, I don't know if you followed today, but people in Michigan like surrounded the the governor's um, uh, the senate or whatever you call it there, where the where the governor is. Basically, the whole place was encircled by cars, like people who say like my county has zero cases. I want to go back to work. You know, um, and then again, I know people who laughed at it who are now dead. 
So really, you know, I, I personally know seven people who are dead. Wow. I would say two of them I knew pretty closely. So, um, you know, some of them you don't know, you know, they don't say it's Corona, but like, well, they had some other underlying thing and, you know, who even knows that half these cases are actually Corona or if they're just like, you were meant to die anyway. Right. Um, it's kind of, uh, especially when I'm talking about elderly people and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's horrific and I'm not trying to downplay it in any way, but yeah. there's definitely yeah. two sides to this. And, um, but having said that, you cannot have people tailgating and hanging out and that cannot happen. Well, I heard November, like things might start to look a little different. Yes. I think September, October, November is a time where you could pretty much congregate and wear masks and gloves all the time. I think uh, nothing happens until there's a vaccine, you know, and I think that that's basically what it is. I think people, um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, you know, I don't want to get into what China did, you know, um, just like lying and lying about the nature of this. So, and then the WHO, like basically parroting them and that caused the pandemic. So, um, that issue aside, you know, we are going to be like a different nation coming out of this, hopefully a different world, hopefully a little for better, but, um, I don't see any rock concerts. I mean, some states have already said like no rock concerts, you know, no sports gatherings. So, um, that's culture you're now talking about and Mm -hmm. you're, you know, and you're talking about mental health and, you know, we're getting into all these issues here. Um, the Rastas always talk about Coptic times, that you're living through Coptic times, which is kind of like a, uh, you know, Ethiopian interpretation of, uh, just saying, you know, we're, we're at the apocalypse kind of thing. So, uh, like the whole world is, uh, you know, hopefully going to be different. Uh, well, you gotta be different after this, you know, cause it's going to be like two years of wearing masks, maybe forever. You may never shake a hand again. You may never kiss people hello again. You know, I've been to Japan three or four times and, uh, I get why they bow, Right. you know? They don't touch anybody, you know, it's their germaphobes, but now I get it because I never had a pandemic before. I think if we're all being honest, if we were asked the question, it's the most bizarre, strange, and I don't mean just thing, like feeling ever to have happened to you as an individual. My answer would be this, like, because there's just, it's so unknown what is coming and it, it, it does sort of take away um, control and, you know, just our everyday life is flipped upside down and we have no control over it. You know, before if something's not working or it's awful, then you change it. Right. I, I was talking to somebody recently about, uh, kind of like, is this the worst thing you've seen? I guess it's kind of what, kind of what you were asking too. Um, you know, and I, I lived on Avenue D in the Lower East Side and 1985, (laughs) you know, like a complete war zone (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination, but that you could control a little bit more. Um, but there is no uh, control. Right. There isn't. And so we have um, to rest it not knowing right now, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like I, um, it was the weekend before St. Patty's day. So it was like around the 13th or something like that. I got invited to a show by Alan Merrill. 
wrote the song I Love Rock and Roll, played right around the corner from us. And uh, you may have read about him dying of uh, coronavirus. I did. And, and his band members also got it. I don't, I don't think anyone from his band died, but, you know, and I know people who were there got sick. I would say that at least seven or eight people I spoke to before I left town, um, which was that Monday, so I want to say it was around the 16th, that's when I left New York City, um, we were pretty well, we were stocked up and we knew to keep our shoes out and have masks and gloves everywhere. So we were, we got the idea before they were really telling us to do that. It was just pretty obvious. Were you worried that, like, the city might get locked down? Yeah, so that's why we got out. Mm-hmm. We, that's, that was clearly the reason. Um, it was really an escape from New York moment. I uh, had a car rented for 5 o'clock. I got there at 5.04. They said they're closing early and saw the blur in my face. To which I um, went to the main location. I walked 30, 40 blocks, which is about two miles, like the 49th Street, and just had to like wait in this room where everyone's like breathing on top of each other. The 30, 40 blocks I walked, everyone's like not practicing social distancing, and I see people off on the side of the road, like smoking joints with each other in cars or drinking with each other or hanging out and i'm having to wash down the you know take alcohol to the entire car when i i got it you know it was really hard we packed basically thinking we're leaving for a few weeks and you know now everything is up in the air Mm -hmm. Um, i know boston university is the first school to say that they are canceling all classes until January 2021. Wow, that's a commitment. I have um, some lightning round questions for you if you have an extra minute or two. Let's do it. Let's see here. All right, football. Um, Full contact, yes or no? Always. It's not the future, though. The future will be two-hand touch. Two-hand touch. So was that a yes or a no, though? I didn't, I didn't hear. My answer is yes. Okay. You know, my yes to the blood sport no to the future okay okay um halftime show yes or no always favorite player uh chad cascad in new york that's 1996 to 1999 player that makes you wince when you hear his name tom brady kneel or stand stand okay and that's it oh wait no 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 i have one more um Separation of politics and sports, yes or no? Yes, it's the only reprieve from it. Well, there we go. <laughs> that was great. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for, uh, well, you're welcome, but thank you for agreeing to do it. You know, you're so much fun to talk to and you have so <laughs> much to say, so maybe you'll come back sometime. Of course. Yeah, just let me know when it's out. You can keep up with Steven and find his sports column, The Jet Press, and explore his past and present projects at stevenblush.com. S-T-E-V-E-N-B-L-U-S-H.com. And I recommend listening to The Art of the Interview podcast. You can find it on Spotify or visit his Facebook page, Blush Media, username stephen.blush.54. 
And by the way, round one of the NFL draft brought in 15.6 million viewers, beating the record from 2014 with a measly 12.4 million. Part four, dad says it's all going to be okay. Full disclosure, the last time I spoke to my dad, his voice was really muffled. He was on a cell phone on speaker and my, my voice sounded okay. Um, well, the best it can sound for being on a phone. Um, and this time we did a Skype call, but I had headphones on. And so his voice sounds great, but my voice sounds muffled. Um, but you can still make it out. I think we'll have it figured out for the next dad call. And I'm calling to find out right now if it's still going to be okay. Well, so far it's been okay. It's, um, it's a funny, funny situation here. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's a mix of everything. It's the confluence of every impulse humans have. It's like we had fear. We had like fear of the plague and then fear of the other political party and fear of you know, so, so far, so good. I've done well. I mean, I'm continuing to kind of my life goes on pretty much as it always has. And I, uh, and if that's any barometer of the larger picture, then perhaps I will, uh, judging from that, that things are going to be great. Yeah. Tell me three facts about Bootsy Collins. Bootsy Collins was in Funkadelic working with George Clinton. Bootsy Collins had a solo career that uh, covered a few labels. Um, Bootsy Collins did a album I like really a lot. I think it was on Ryko Disc, actually. Or was one, and it was uh, Zillatron, Lord of the Harvest. And there's a song in there I just love. Uh, space something or other and I think we yeah we interviewed him in seconds magazine of course when I was the editor thereof and um, he's a really you know really intense guy I'm not um, like I like him when I hear him I'm not a I'm not an aficionado so I couldn't name off a lot of stuff but you know I like it when I hear it and I have some funk and I'm sure that he's very much in the mix a fact about this guy is that he's got a look and a vibe that he can't hide it's so wide and bright that you just know that when he's there in front of you he's taken up everything and he's everywhere and he's just he plays bass and his bass bombs your behind basically <laughs> cats or dogs cats and why you don't have to walk them in the winter. Dogs and cats both are very intelligent and very intuitive and very able to connect with people's psyches and like uh, work with us as people. So I like both. And I mean, in a perfect world, I would have a cat and a dog, but I am an apartment dweller here in Brooklyn. And so I, um, I find that a cat is a more uh, convenient companion and they're, they're, uh, they keep ghosts away, and that's important. They have they they're on spiritual patrol. They don't understand what it is because they're not humans, so they don't have that human soul. So they they just know it's an an intrusive force. But I find that they keep uh, keep ghosts away.
I have two cats, Peaches and Andy. And then do you have a favorite? No. So you love them both. You love them both equally. I do. Yes. Very differently. They're very different, but they get a, they're, it's 50, 50. Everything's 50, 50. Love and cat food. Uh Uh-huh. Um, when you, when you go away to Florida and like, for example, this last trip that you made down Mm -hmm. to your mom's, Mm -hmm. um, and I was staying in Brooklyn, um, helping out a friend and I, uh, would pop over and sometimes stay the night at your place while you were gone. And I noticed that you had, I don't know. Like you were gone for 19 days or something, so you had 19 bags of cat litter, yes, and um and an appropriate amount of um cans of cat food, and I did uh, signs on the cabinet for the cat sitter, um with mm-hmm. very um detailed instructions about um how to do everything. Yes. And so I guess I would just ask you, why change the litter every day without getting too gross? Um, you change it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, important to you. Can you Very can you, important. Okay. Can it's, you tell me why? It's a matter of hygiene. It's a matter of providing the most hygienic and comfortable spot for the cats to do their business so that they're happier. It's not akin to flushing a toilet, but the metaphor could be forced onto the situation. Um, you also keep a bowl of water in the sink. Yeah. Um, and you also keep a chair near the sink so that way Andy can hop up onto the counter and get into the sink because yes. he's not as um, uh, flexible or agile or young, maybe, as Peaches. Who can mm-hmm. jump up on the counter without the aid of a chair? Right. Yes, correct. I, I Andy, uh, I noticed when Andy uh, moved in that he liked to hang around the sink. That's fine. If I'm not preparing anything up there, that's fine. So I noticed he would lick up water. And after a while, I just said, well, why don't I want to do everything I can to encourage him to drink water. So why don't I just put a bowl in the sink? It doesn't hurt anything. It's a very small bowl. And can be easily moved, but it's up there for him, and he likes it. And it's become like a routine. It's like the watering hole, the Serengeti Plain up there on the, up there on the sink. Okay, favorite decade? My favorite decade would be the 1970s. Because the most, the, the, the greatest, wait, edit, um, because, edit, okay, hold on over there. I got to talk to these guys in the control booth. I got to wake them up over there. Um. Were they my favorite era? Because okay, I, I I don't like to ever use this this kind of terminology about progress, mankind making progress. I don't I understand social evolution. I don't like that progress because it just sounds like somebody's trying to sell me something or convince me of something whenever I hear it. But nonetheless, if we say that in every decade in the modern world and probably throughout human history, there has been an advancement. That advancement could have been scientific, it could have been in the military, it could have been in social equality, it could have been in in how much music evolved and, and got more, whatever, complicated or less complicated, but it, it, about evolution. Um, if, if we can say that in every decade progress is made in various fields, in various combinations, 
sometimes very little progress, sometimes almost zero, sometimes it's a lot. I would say that the 70s, of all the eras of which, of which I am familiar, both having lived through and from, from my reading of history, that the 70s had the greatest range of advancement in the greatest number of fields and the, the most expansive changes in consciousness, the most expansive uh, changes and heightenings of awareness, the best technological revolution. Um, and it was, it was very fast-paced. It covered a lot of territories. If you look at the fashions of the 70s, and if you consider that fashion as a barometer of, you know, some of, of social stuff, um, and you look at what people were wearing in 1970 and what they were wearing in 1979, there was a tremendous shift in, in, in like genres, influences, all that fashionista speak stuff uh, just happened the fastest the furthest in the 70s. And there was a lot of new things, too, new concepts. Uh, I mean, a lot of those concepts, of course, like all concepts, are, are extrapolations of something that's come before, um, but not all of them. So, yeah, the 70s had everything, and it had the, uh, it was also the freest decade. They were good in the 70s. The drugs were good in the 70s, thank you. The uh, cars were good in the 70s. Seriously, the drugs were good. The pot was really good. The uh, fashions were good. Free love. There was free love. And the, a lot of this stuff had been like formulated in the swinging 60s. But it was institutionalized in the 70s. Okay. Favorite baseball team? The Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. Favorite football team? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I kind of like Jacksonville, I got to say. I mean, I like them all. You know, I'm not a fan of any one team, and that's in any sport. But I, I like Jacksonville a lot. I like the Dolphins a lot. I kind of like the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a lot, a bit. I like the Philadelphia sports teams a lot. I like the Phillies. I like the Eagles. You like to listen to it on the radio. Like it's when I called, yeah. you were listening to baseball. Well, I was listening to a replay as well. Of course, now in the time of the virus, we don't have baseball games, even though right. the season's already begun. But I'm listening to WFAN play replays. I, I didn't catch which one was on because I just turned it on before you called. But uh, they play replay Yankee stuff, much of which is like recent enough so that you can kind of sink your teeth into it because you recognize the announcers and they've got like eight, you know, I mean, guys who have been retired for maybe a couple of years, like tonight I'm listening to it. They're talking about A-Rod, you know, Alex Rodriguez, one of my favorite players. And you hear him, you know, spoken about. And it just feels so familiar. And I was like, oh, hey, look, baseball. It's like watching a movie for the second time. So I, I think, yeah, some of them are playoff games, you know, that were worth. This one, I they right when you call, you had a call in the ninth inning, you know, and it was like three and two in some tense moment. And then the phone rang. But um, that brings up an interesting point of the artificiality now of now that we're in this this current pandemic era that we live in. There is no baseball. So I am listening to baseball from the past and enjoying it, not because I'm there's I, I have an investment in the outcome of the game because the game's not occurring, but rather because it's a, a calming and soothing thing. 
And even though I like that, I'm very worried that people are going to become immersed in television, basically. Now, they might watch it on their computer, but look, I call it TV. I don't care whether it's Netflix, because TV is like a generic like word for something bad. You know? How about a couple of dad jokes, please? I went to the uh, Museum of Natural History the other day, even though they're closed, and I took a tour. And the tour guide was an older gentleman who had worked there for a long time and obviously knew his stuff. So when we got to the dinosaur section, he says to us in the group that this here Tyrannosaurus Rex, referring to its the, the skeleton of the T-Rex, he said this T-Rex is 60 million and 38 years old. So that struck me as being a little odd. I said, how can you be so... I raised my hand. I said, how can you be so precise about the age of this T-Rex? He says, well, when I started working here 38 years ago, they told me it was 60 million years old. Then I said, okay, okay. And uh, there's that. (laughs) Then there's... um, Guy goes into the library goes up to the librarian at the desk and says, I have a cheeseburger and a Coke. The librarian goes, shh, sir, this is a library. Shh. The guy says, oh, I'm sorry. I'll have a cheeseburger and a Coke. Drum roll, please. Um, guy goes to the doctor. Doctor goes, well, I got some bad news for you. Guy goes, go ahead. I can handle it, doc. He goes, well, you got AIDS and you got Alzheimer's disease. Guy goes, at least I don't have AIDS. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do the cheeseburger and a Coke one again. It didn't translate well. And also, I think your mic is rubbing on your five o'clock shadow or something. Um, because when you did the cheeseburger one, it didn't yeah. translate the way it, it's not going to work. You know what? It, it, it has try to, it. I, try no, it has just to be done it. in person. It has no, to be done in person. It. You got to just talk louder and then do the whisper. The guy goes into a library, goes up to the librarian and says, I'll have a cheeseburger and a Coke. The librarian says, shh, sir, this is a library. The guy says, sorry, I'll have a cheeseburger and a Coke. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Say goodbye to everyone. Everybody, I love you. Goodbye. All right, Sugar Plum. I love you. And I love you too. You when I talk to you. As soon as possible. All right. The next time I talk to you is when I'll talk to you. See you when I see you. I'll see you later, alligator. The music you heard in this episode can be found in the description of this podcast. And if you have an idea or a story you want to share with our listeners, you can send it to ideas at 1228podcast.com. Thanks for listening. Toodles.